put some flesh on his bones, though Clay no doubt had already tried. She supposed that ministering to people, with their many needs and the complex times, was a hard job for any man. And Clay and Joe had not been without their own woes. One child lost a whooping cough at an early age, one grandson wayward and belligerent, causing his parents and grandparents a great deal of pain. But the others, and there were now fourteen family members in Clay's family, seemed to be doing fine. One son even had received high honors in his field of medical research. Missy, who had moved to the large black stove to stir the pot of simmering brown beans, had already marked her sixtieth birthday, now a grandmother a number of times over, and expecting her first great-grandchild. Missy did not look her years. The West had been good to Missy and her Willie. Clark joked that they had populated one county all on their own, and it was true that many of the ranches in their area were now run by sons and grandsons. One of the boys had taken over the homespread. Willie maintained with a glint in his eyes and pride in his voice that all he was allowed to do now was boring paperwork. But most of Missy's family members, thirty-seven in number, had not been able to make the long trip east. Only Willie and Missy and their Melissa, who had traveled all the way from the west coast where she lived with her husband— involved in coastal shipping, had come. Marty could hear her son Claire's voice from the back porch, insisting that he was enjoying the chance to put his feet up since retirement. He had moved with his wife, Kate, from their farm into the little town nearby, letting Dak take over. Marty smiled as she thought about it. Why, she often wondered aloud to Clark, if he liked retirement so much did he drive back and forth from town to the farm all the time just to check things out. Marty guessed that Claire's real reason for leaving the farm was Kate. She was badly crippled with arthritis, and had they remained on the farm, she would have continued to plant her big garden and insist on carrying her share of the load. Marty knew that Claire worried about Kate. Clark and Marty were used to having Claire and Kate with their sons, Dan, Davy, Dak, and Stan, and their families around for family gatherings— the sons and their seventeen offspring had not scattered far from home, but their daughter, Amy Jo, was another matter. She had moved to a large city on the West Coast so she could pursue her work in art, the most beautiful city in the world, according to Amy Jo. Her rancher husband had retired, sold his spread, and dabbled in real estate while Amy Jo dabbled in oils. They had two children, neither of whom had shown any bent toward their mother's artistic gifts, Son Arnie and his wife Anne had also always lived nearby. Arnie kidded Claire about quitting work to loaf. He insisted that Claire would be healthier and happier if he was out pitching hay or cleaning the barn. But Marty knew that Arnie understood the difficult choice Claire had made. She wished that Arnie himself didn't have to work so hard. He was getting a definite stoop to his shoulders. Arnie's family now totaled twenty-two. Silas, John, and Abe all worked area farms. Trudy and Anne Louise had also married farmers. Clark and Marty's daughter Ellie and husband Lane had shared the trip home by train with Missy and Willie. None of their offspring, and there were now twenty-nine counting in-laws and little ones, were able to make the trip with them. Ellie was still slim and lithe, though her once golden locks had now turned a silvery white. Premature gray, she called it, but Missy smiled and teased that Ellie was old enough to have earned her gray hair, already being a grandmother. 
Ellie's family included nine grandchildren. Luke, the Davis's youngest son, was Beartown's very busy physician. He had just built Abby a new house. His office was now apart from his home, a fact that Abby declared was only about twenty years late in happening. Poor Abby had been subject to knocks on the door at all hours of the day and night. Their son Aaron had married a local girl and settled down to run the community's funeral parlor, a fact that caused a good many smiles of amusement and made Doc Luke and his mortician son the butt of many friendly jokes. Thomas had chosen to follow his father in medicine, so he was off getting his training. Daughter, Ruth Ann, married the town pharmacist, making another prime target for the local wits. If you go see Dr. Luke, he sends you off to his son-in-law for medicines, and if that don't work, you end up his son's client. People ribbed, always seeming to think that the little joke was original with them. Georgia was a bookkeeper at the mayor's office, still single but much pursued. Clark maintained that she so enjoyed keeping the local young men in a tizzy that she would never settle on one of them. Luke and Abby and their family had, over the years, been frequent visitors for Sunday dinner at the Davis family farmhouse. On this special occasion, only Thomas and his new bride were missing. Belinda, Clark and Marty's last, had married Drew Simpson and also lived in the nearby town with her lawyer husband and five children— Having made her appearance in the family when Marty was past forty, Belinda was still considered a young woman, not yet having reached her own fortieth birthday. Her children, younger than the other cousins, had not been raised with the rest of the bustling pack, but were young enough to be given special pampering by all the older cousins. Belinda's Clara already had herself a beau. Marty silently hoped that the courtship would not move too quickly. There was no reason for Clara— only eighteen, to rush into the duties of homemaker. Rodney, following closely in age, was an industrious and capable student. His father, Drew, took great pleasure in the accomplishments of his eldest son. Virginia, named after the lady that Belinda long ago had nursed and come to love as dearly as a grandmother, was thirteen, followed by Daniel, age twelve. Belinda often quipped that she had her offspring in pairs, as close together as they could be without being twins. The final pair brought heartache as well as joy. They lost baby Pearl when she was two months old. No reason for the death was ever known, even after Luke had advised them to get the baby to a large city hospital where she would be given the best of care. Little Pearl never came home to them again. The next year Francine arrived, chubby and healthy and totally endearing, Belinda dried her tears and gave herself totally to caring for her baby. Francine, now seven, was still the darling of the family. Dimple-faced and tender-hearted, she often reminded Grandmother Marty of the little Belinda whom they had welcomed as a tag-along to the Davis family so many years ago. Mama, where's the ginger? The question brought Marty's attention back to the activity of the large farm kitchen. She had to stop and focus on the present. The ginger... Where did she keep the ginger? In the pantry, on the second shelf. To the right, she eventually was able to answer. Ellie moved with graceful steps toward the pantry. The kitchen door opened a crack, and Clark poked his head in. His once dark hair was streaked with gray, and wrinkle lines marked out the place where smiles and frowns had furrowed his brow over the years. 
but his eyes still sparkled with good humor. How long ye be tempting poor hungry stomachs with all them fancy smells and nothing to fill our plates? He joked good-naturedly. I don't know who's finding the weight the hardest, me or all those young'uns. Artie smiled at him and teasingly waved him back outside. Look out, or you'll be having yourself a job to do, she said as he quickly withdrew. She rose from her chair and crossed again to the window. All the young'uns, she observed, looked totally occupied with what they were doing. Four young men played horseshoes out by the chicken coop. Younger versions raced about in a wild tag of their own making. Three little girls were being read to by an older cousin as the lawn swing rocked gently back and forth. Another little cluster, skirts spread, sat under branches of the maple, flaps filled with kittens from a barn litter. Two lads were coming from the direction of the spring, pant legs rolled up, shoes strung over shoulders by their laces. One carried a pail. Marty wondered if it held frogs or turtles or maybe even a garter snake. Another two dashed from the direction of the haystack, an egg held in each hand. Obviously, they had discovered a hidden nest. But off to the side, alone and withdrawn from all the activity, was a solitary figure. She leaned rather listlessly against the trunk of an old apple tree, seemingly with no interest in the fruit that was maturing above her head. Artie's grandmother heart went out to the girl. Virginia. Virginia, her newest teenager. Virginia with her perplexity of becoming. The transition from childhood to adulthood seemed to be particularly puzzling and difficult for the young Virginia. Marty's brow creased in a slight frown.